0: This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sons to be. Welcome. Hi there everybody out there, this is Paul Sons to be coming to you on the Structured Rambling Podcast and this is uh, one of those what we call, what I call, I'm a team of one. Uh, This is what I call a rambling episode, Uh, multiple texts, couple of topics, that type of thing. Uh, This is a little bit of a tie together episode. Uh, It's an episode containing threads from several things I've been studying over the past couple of years, um, all coming together, uh, but yet you can listen to this episode totally independently um, without necessarily being completely current on every discussion I've had. Uh, I try to make these standalone episodes. I will make references to things I have said in other episodes, but it is not a, hey, this is a... This isn't Dallas. If you missed yesterday, last week, you don't have to know whether Bobby's dead or it was all a dream. I really was bugged by that recently. I was so young when that happened, I didn't get to uh, what a degree it was that that whole season turned out to be Pam's dream and they just undid it to bring Patrick Duffy back into the show. Yes, closet Dallas fan. Uh, we had one channel as kids. Whatever, it was a good show. I think I don't really. the The dream thing was dumb, and I don't even remember who shot Jr. I assume it was his wife. What was her name again? Pam was Bobby's. Oh gosh, this might be the first time I get hate mail. Anyways, Sue Ellen, that's right, and she was she was uh, she battled alcoholism. Anyways, somebody shot Jr. Wow that's what you call a non sequitur anyways you do not have to listen to all of my episodes in order to understand what's going on so it's a couple weeks after halloween and unlike most anticipatory holiday seasons that just keep getting longer in order to sell crap i actually like the halloween season uh, over the past few months I've been rereading Dracula. It doesn't take that long to reread it. I've got lots on the go. I don't have to make excuses to you except about my forgetting the name of Sue Ellen Ewing. Anyways, um, I'm rereading Dracula. It's about the fifth time I've read it. And maybe after this, at some point, I'll give you a full episode on it. It sure does deserve that. But for now, I want to consider some of the the roots of modern and by modern I mean past 130 years or so, horror. And uh, their source in the ancient, and, and their adaptations. Um, so traditional pagan and, and early Christian Northwestern Europeans believed in a fairy world. Um, a world peopled with spirits and elves and gremlins and about half the cast of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. In May, some passage to this world would open up, allowing our world to connect with the realm of fairy. That's fairy, F A E R I E. How this connection happened varies, but the point is these little, playful, powerful, and sometimes dangerous fairy folk could move freely through our world through the summer. They'd cause general mischief, depending on the tradition, souring milk or leading herds uh, or flocks astray. They'd hide your keys. And as time went on, Christianity began to hold more sway in these lands, and everything pagan or traditional became evil. And it became harder to tell the world of fairy from hell itself, and the little folk often became demons or monsters they certainly weren't all good but they weren't only out there to cause you harm um this is explored in so many so many great works of literature Susanna Clark's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is the best modern version of it um Tolkien explored this to to great extent Um, even, even Shakespeare, uh, did it. Um, I, I'm not even going to delve into it too deeply, uh, just to say it's there. These creatures were powerful old world spirits. They were bound to nature. Um, they were neither entirely altruistic nor entirely malicious. They were playful, but you had to be careful dealing with them. Um, the bridge or tunnel or Venn diagram with Fairy would close at the end of the summer, shutting emphatically before the Holy All Saints Day of November 1st. The creatures of Fairy would have one last big night out before this hallowed day. And that evil little night on the eve of All Hallowed became known as Hallowed Evening or Halloween with the apostrophe. Little wicked creatures would play one last trick on you unless you had some treat to send them away. This threat of the unknown was usually tied to the natural world. In A Midsummer Night's Dream, all the chaos happens when the lovers and the mechanics leave the city. The natural world is where Puck and the other fairies can play their tricks. It's untamed. It's dangerous. It's and In the earlier times it was out to get you it was primal in the anglo-saxon epic poem beowulf beyond the warm mead hall is a cold and savage wilderness where monsters come out of the dark and kill and eat you in that order if you're lucky that's the way it was of course if you strayed from the fire a northern winter was lethal There were wolves and bears and diseases and infections. The cold was lethal. You didn't have health care. A tooth infection could end up killing you. When the natural world is so threatening, it's understandable that supernatural powers get get associated with it. Think, really think of the scope and power of fire. Fire. Of oceans earthquakes avalanches hurricanes it makes sense for the people to associate these things that they don't understand and are beyond their imagination with ill intent with gods or demons or wizards or witches or punishing ghosts the actions of people who are bestial lunatics have greater significance to those who do not understand how the world truly works. I love Halloween and I'm in just sort of the come down mode from it. It's one of the most popular holidays in my household. We love dressing up for it and decorating our house. I like it better than Christmas because... It is there, but it doesn't thickly cover every inch of our lives in a saccharine quilt. Well, the season is about half as long as the Christmas season, too. That is, the Walmart and Tim Hortons' mandatory imposed 90 days of Christmas barbarity. But I digress. I love the feel of Halloween, and not the gore-horror side of it, but the true creepy traditional side of it trees without leaves on them black cats carved pumpkins dark stormy nights right that kind of thing for me halloween is a victorian holiday always set best in the late 19th century in london of course that's where we get most of our best scary stories that's where dracula jekyll and hyde the invisible man so many classics of the genre come from they all reside in that period bearing down on 1900. Why the fascination with horror then? Why for then? Why would I that time? Well, that time was a zenith of human development. And thus, anything that harkened back to our primal fears and superstitions um, would create a nice little juxtaposition against the advancement of the end of the 19th century uh juxtaposing it with the untamed prehistory right um sort of a serendipity how many of the texts i've studied of late have in some way connected to these three main motifs which i want to explore here a good place to start is with the the inner beast the threatening inner beast So in a recent podcast on Beowulf and Michael Crichton's historical reimagining of it called Eaters of the Dead, which became the film The 13th Warrior, um, I talked about how each of these texts plums the very understandable medieval fear of things that go bump in the night and have pointy teeth. 1500 years ago, everything beyond the safety of your walls, beyond the light and heat of your fire could be viewed as a threat. That wasn't just paranoia. The world was out to kill you. In the north, in Scandinavia, Scotland, Ireland, Iceland, Wales, and England itself, winter was lethal. There were carnivores out there. The winter night meant death. So, Grendel, or the Vendel, these are things that come from the dark and kill and eat you. Again, hopefully in that order. They're beasts that walk like men. They're unpredictable, and they're creatures of the night. In, in the Vikings believed that um, these warriors could wear the skins of wolves or bears and work themselves up into a frenzy, sometimes with the help of apparently drugs, magic mushrooms, um, and take on, take on the characteristics of the animal, growl and roar. And, and in fact, uh, they would go berserk. And that word berserk comes from bear shirt, right? Those who wore these. Berserkers. Um, if you saw one of these just past the, the, the end of your firelight, would you not think there could be something supernatural about that? Heck, give me the right evening by myself in the woods and have a guy walk around like that and I can convince myself of anything. Forget 1500 years ago. So in my lead up to Halloween, I watched uh, I'd seen it before, but I'd forgotten it completely. The 20, 20, 2010 Joe Johnson film, The Wolfman, which was a gigantic flop, but it bears out in the rewatch. It's a movie that I didn't mind this time. It does a lot of things right, but it does enough things wrong and it was a total mess in how they put it together and how it, like they re-recorded the soundtrack and budget issues and blah, blah, blah. So it killed it at the time, but it you know it's okay to see again. The things that are right is the placement in late 1800s England, Victorian gaslight horror, as it should be. This is in honor of the perfect setting. This film is lovely. It's got gorgeous cinematography. It is a late October watch, however. It's a little unsure of itself because it's an homage to the classic 1941 film. Um, the, The actual wolfman creature looks more like a weird ape than a wolf because they're wanting to look like that. There are fine performances by Benicio Del Toro, Emily Blunt, Hugo Weaving, and especially Anthony Hopkins, who can do no thing wrong in my opinion. Hopefully cancel culture doesn't get to him. I don't understand that it should. He has skeletons in his closet, but don't love anything too hard, kids. It'll turn out to get destroyed. I miss Kevin Spacey, although I could never look at him the same way again. But this idea of the man who becomes a wolf, and it's maybe even louder in Dracula, plays with our primal fear. A man who behaves like a beast, especially under the effects of a full moon. He's a literal lunatic. Tick, but he's something more to think a person in a modern place especially the pinnacle that 19th century england saw itself as could be linked to a beast it was like a, a reversion it was the pagan the, the the prehistoric intruding on this perfect modernity the novel dracula does the same every reread pushes this book higher up my best of list i think it's now cracked the top five i love this novel i've loved it since i was 13 years old and like all of the truly great books it reveals more on every subsequent reread the opening few chapters of jonathan harker's journal as he travels to transylvania they're just lovely travel log it might be why uh, the root of travel was planted in in my mind and I, i think there's a Reason that I write my own journals, especially when I travel, I'm always thinking of of this. His account of meals and customs and superstition sets the tone better than any uh, omniscient point of view could have done. And tone is critical to Dracula. Harker is a Brit; he's an ultra modern Londoner who doesn't go in for this superstitious mumbo jumbo. Um, He's traveling into Eastern Europe, uh, a a less advanced part of the world than London in in 1897. He's essentially going back in time. And as he moves deeper into the land, he moves closer to the primitive, to the past man. Not only is Count Dracula a devil, his powers are elemental. They're bestial in nature. It's not happenstance that the creatures Dracula is most associated with in the book, the bat and the wolf, that they are two of the most frightening creatures in the wild. A flying, blood-sucking rodent, a thing that should not be, and your basic fairy tale villain. The vampire is a gypsy play on the werewolf and on the man in beast form, a man given over to his most basic nature, killing and eating and for dracula also lusting do not miss and i'm sure i i'm sure i'm not the first to tell you that bram stoker was using dracula as as uh, an analogy for sexuality right he 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 pierces the flesh of his victims right his his main weapon is a phallic symbol dracula controls and commands wolves Jonathan sees him do this, and and later on, the wolf that comes to Lucy the night she dies has been under his control. Dracula's powers, he's got many powers, but we should note how primal they are in their manifestation. He craves blood, the essence of life. And he is defined, like the carnivores in Eaters of the Dead, by what he consumes what he consumes is what defines the horror of dracula here we have the great juxtaposition of so many of those classic horror stories late victorian london the highest society of the world it appeared that this mighty empire had at last surpassed ancient rome as the greatest achievement of of humanity science philosophy art humanism were at their peak The devastating Great War that would set all this on its ear was still a decade and a half away. Londoners could take pride in the grandeur that they lived in. That's not to confuse a peak of civilization with a utopia, of course. It was not. This was a London that gave birth to Jack the Ripper and the Victorian repression of the natural self. That's the very reason Bram Stoker wrote Dracula as a sexual metaphor. The, the way the Count seduces and penetrates his victims, ripe young women usually, is es- explicitly the act of sexual conquest. It's fascinating then to read Dracula not in the historical context, but as a contemporary in that ultra-modern 1897 would have read it. We forget this. Um, we forget to read these books as books of their time rather than historical records for us i'm i'm currently uh composing a a podcast that i'll i'll do for you in the next couple of months on the grapes of wrath and um i'm reminded about like john steinbeck was writing about the oklahoma migrant crisis as it was happening that novel was published as that crisis was happening and and yet we look at it as this depression historical novel dracula is not a historical novel even though it's fantastic it's it's not it's not intended to be anything but a current novel in 1897 Um, van helsing dr seward jonathan harker quincy morrison and, and and arthur fight the count using modernity he is a demon of the old bestial world and they have science something to keep in mind when reading dracula is not that it's 124 years old but instead that it was published in 1897 on the brink of this 21st century after more than 60 years of the stifling emotionalist neutered reign of queen victoria one of stoker's chief motivations in publishing the book was presenting its pure deluptuousness which would have been vulgar to the victorians and note what a hit it was to them as well the heroes of the novel are modern men and women they're cutting edge Jonathan writes in shorthand Uh, Mina uses a typewriter. She types up all of their journals. Mina is my favorite character in the book. Dr. Seward and Lucy record their journals into the first sort of recording equipment phonographs. Van Helsing performs blood transfusions to try to keep Lucy alive. Although you have to sort of avoid the fact that they don't check or know about blood types while they're doing this. She just gets pumped full of lots of people's blood. Um, But a contemporary reader would have seen much of this as almost science fiction. And so it was like the future battling the ancient past. This was the time of Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, um, of the first good science fiction and the praise of modernity. The heroes used their modern tools to fight the demon from the old backwards east, a primal creature, um, the dark side of nature. Dr. Jekyll experiments with science, but pulls out his more bare side, a lusty, violent beast. The wolfman of the film I was talking about is a primal creature, a descendant of Cain like Grendel is in Beowulf. Magic and mayhem set loose on the streets of London. H.G. Wells' Invisible Man quickly turns to carnal and primal desires and acts once he feels he can act without consequence because nobody can see him. But it drives him mad. There are old basic demons juxtaposed against this pinnacle of society. Is it any wonder Jack the Ripper murdered and maimed prostitutes? Women who traded in our most basic coin, our desires, our carnal vices. And he butchered them with a fine knowledge by studying apparently modern anatomy in dracula the londoners are so modern that they must rely on the wisdom of the old and older world the wisdom of abraham van helsing he presents how they must approach lucy and take dracula himself as a scientific process One could almost believe that vampirism is not magical, but just a new and deadly disease they've discovered. The way he applies the scientific method to proving it and then proving it to the other men in doubt and then raising the bar and killing the vampire, it's almost as if it's a novel taking superstition and rolling it into science. The late Victorians have never been beaten for their presentation of traditional horror. This is because they were told and probably believed until the Great War broke out and erased their optimism and most of a the generation. They considered themselves the best version of human existence thus far, the greatest society of all time, the true successor to ancient Rome. Like Rome, though, Civilization for 19th century Britons couldn't erase what lay beyond those gas lamps, just out of sight of the heat and the fire. The primal, the horrific, the unknown was not erased, and the base nature of humans could not be suppressed. These texts showed that the things that go bump in the night are never really gone, they just keep calm and carnal on. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.